All right, good to see you tonight. Before we get into it, I want to mention a couple of the books that are back there at the table. I'll keep seeing them and wanted to say a few words about them. Uh, when it comes to revival itself, there's an account on the table called Sounds from Heaven. This was produced a few years ago. Uh, it's called, uh, it's dealing with the revival on Lewis. Uh, when Duncan Campbell went in December of 1949 for what he thought was going to be a 10-day meeting, but God so stepped down from heaven, he preached on the island for the next three years. It's written by Colin and Mary Peckham, and uh, Mary was converted in the revival, the first half of the book details that revival. I've read a number of different things on the revival. This is the most thorough. And then the second half of the book gives you testimony after testimony of individuals who were there. And so some teenagers, some older folk, and these uh, testimonies were written down, and they have collated them and put them there for you. So it gives you a variety of perspective uh, what God did during that time. And I'll tell you what, it stirs you to the depths. There's the book called The Revival We Need by Oswald J. Smith. How many of you have read this? Wow, just one. All right, now look, this is something that will stir your faith. Uh, Oswald J. Smith, uh, at the beginning of the book, he's dealing with revival truth, and then he begins to give you his own story. In fact, he takes excerpts from his journal. How he began to seek God's face. This morning we talked about seeking God. He journals his, uh, his own uh, story, and he's quite honest. And there are many times when he, he, he knew he was powerless and something was wrong. And then he walks you into a time when God began to breathe and to pour out a spirit. And again, very helpful on the corporate revival level. On personal revival level, we have Charles Trumbull's Victory in Christ. I know some in here have read this. Uh, but this, uh, uh, with what we dealt with last night from Galatians 2.20, I mentioned a sermon that Roslyn Goforth read. That's actually in here. It's chapter 2, The Life That Wins. And it's the kind of chapter, if you read it, you think, oh, that was nice. Read it again. Uh, because it's more than nice. It's hanky-waving truth. Remember that? <laughs> and uh, uh, there's a chapter called Is the Secret to Victory. It's phenomenal. There's a chapter on the perils of the victorious life. You know, as long as you walk in the flesh, Satan could care less about you. You begin to walk in the spirit and there's a new set of attacks. But we're not ignorant of his devices. That last chapter goes into some of that. And so chapter by chapter, very helpful. I was in a meeting in South Carolina. A man bought this in one of my meetings. And I came back three years later. He said, you know, I buy that book by the box in order to give them away. It was that kind of help to me. Now, friends, there's help out there. This is printed preaching, and God can use it to stir our hearts. Uh, two of the messages so far this uh, uh, week have dealt with uh, uh, the matter of, uh, of God's grace to deal with worldliness. Here's a book on the table called Set Apart, Calling a Worldly Church to a Godly Life by Kent Hughes, and a very helpful material in there on such a needed subject. Well, tonight, I want to give you a story uh, that uh, took place uh, 10 years ago, and uh, from a text uh, standpoint, uh, Psalm 111 verse 4, I quoted this morning, uh, the scripture says, He, God, hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. That's why we need to read accounts like the Lewis Revival. God wants us to remember what He's done. We're going to hear a thorough account tonight of what God did at the Crooked Creek uh, Baptist Church uh, there in Georgia with Brother Miles. And I want to take a few moments to tell you what God did. Some of you are aware of what God did 10 years ago in a place called the Chin Hills. Two months ago, I had the privilege of going to the spot. And so, uh, what an amazing thing. Uh, for years, the government there has not allowed foreigners into uh, the Chin Mountain. 
mountains. We could only come up to a certain spot, and then we were not allowed in uh, beyond that. And so with some rare exceptions, that's uh, been the case. Uh, but now things have changed. We're allowed to go in. And I was there for a conference. I talked to many of the people involved in, involved in that revival. And I want to walk you through that story briefly in this first set uh, slot of time. So let's just pray and ask God to give life. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you have made your wonderful works to be remembered. So Holy Spirit, as we remember these particular moves where you manifested the presence of Jesus, Lord, may our hearts thrill. But Lord, may our faith be built. And may we realize you can do it again. So Lord, I plead the blood. Protect us from the enemy. Manifest the victory of Christ tonight, we pray. Show yourself strong. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Myanmar is a country today that used to be called Burma. It is on the other side of the globe. It is between uh, China and Thailand on the east and then India on the west. 200 years ago, Adoniram Judson was uh, the first missionary from America to land there, and he brought the gospel. I think he was the first missionary actually there, and Gandha began to use him. It took a while, but the gospel began to penetrate. It was primarily penetrating to the east in the Karen tribe. In fact, there was a sweeping revival or awakening that took place there, and eventually that went up to the Kachin tribe. That would also be on the eastern side of Burma. Uh, so over there by Thailand and uh, China is where that was taking place. Uh, not a whole lot of penetration among the Burmese, the Buddhists, but some. Uh, but then a hundred years later, a man by the name of D.A. Carson, excuse me, not D.A. Carson, uh, that's another guy, it's another Carson, uh, a missionary, uh, arrived in Burma in the Chin State. And he was the first one to bring the gospel to the Chin State. And there are several key cities there. There's the Titum Chin, there is the Phalam Chin, there is the Hakka Chin, and as I often say, there's the Chinny Chin Chin. But uh, at any rate, uh, they uh, actually have various dialects in this area. So it's a state of that country, and yet when you go from city to city, it's not just dialects like Irish, English, and American English, and Southern English, and so on. It's, it's almost a different language. So it's amazing how they survive, uh, but uh, that's how it is. And uh, God uh, has, uh, uh, God blessed the gospel there a hundred years ago. It began to penetrate. It never had a sweeping awakening. Now there are other parts not far away that did, just across the border into India, in a state of India called Mizoram, where the Mizo people are, very similar to the Chin. Uh, they saw a tremendous revival a hundred years ago, uh, 1904, 1905, 1906, right in there. And they have seen several revivals since. Uh, but the Chen state had not seen a revival. And uh, so uh, uh, there was some gospel penetration. They had believers. But uh, by and large, the people were animist. They worshipped the demons. And in the Chin State, up in the Chin Hills and the mountains, it's very primitive. It's very cold country. Uh, it's very, uh, very, to this day, very... Uh, um, Primitive to us. To us it would be very backward. Uh, dear people that live there. When I was there I looked at them and I looked at their skin. And it was leathery. It was wrinkled. And people that uh, were younger than me. And they looked much uh, older. Not that I look young. But at any rate. Uh, uh, you, you could tell the effects of their lifestyle. 
and uh, where they live. They don't have, uh, uh, they don't take showers, uh, not because they don't want to, they don't, they don't have showers. And uh, some of the guest houses now they do. Uh, the guest house we stayed in, they had a shower, but it was cold. <laughs> oh, it was cold, I'm telling you. And uh, uh, for them, they use a bucket and they take a pail and that's how they do it. So it's, a, it's very different uh, uh, in many different ways. And in 1970, there was a move of God that took place in the Tittum part of the Chin State. And a revival took place there. And uh, that's another story. 1975 in Falam, there was a revival. And today there's a whole association of churches called uh, the Falam Baptist Churches that came out of that. But I want to talk about Hakka. This is the capital of the Chin State. Now we need to understand that, that that missionary that went in, he was a Baptist. He was an American Baptist. Uh, that is a convention. It's a Northern Baptist in the United States. And the Northern Baptist Convention went liberal in the 1930s. And uh, uh, that liberalism uh, made its way into Burma because of all the connections. So that by 1970, you had a lot of these people that had been born again out of an- animism. And now, decades later, uh, they, they had become liberal. By that I mean they no longer believed the Bible was the authority. Uh, They did not believe in the deity of Christ. They did not believe in the virgin birth. They did not believe in regeneration. They did not believe in the new birth. And so you have a desperate situation when that is the case. And uh, that's uh, uh, why God began to move, I think, with some of these awakenings up in Tittim and then in Falam. And uh, so we left a town called Tahan, Kalimio, down at the bottom of the mountains. And we drove uh, 80 miles. It took us seven hours. (laughs) And that's just the way it was. High ridges in those mountains. And often you're looking off one side, then you're looking on the other side. You pass little villages, and the houses, the front of the house would be on the edge of the road. And then the back of the house was on stilts. It was literally on the mountain slope. I don't know how they keep their kids alive. Uh, but uh, And we come flying through there, and chickens all over the road, and they all go scattering. Cows on the road, they don't scatter very fast, but these guys don't slow down for anybody. And so somehow we survived <laughs> on that trip, and we got to uh, this town called Hakka. Now, what God did in this town is uh, it's just really one of the thrilling stories of our generation. It's a town of 20,000 people. And uh, the liberalism among the believers had uh, done its devastating work by 1970 uh, so that you had all of these people who called themselves Christians because they were no longer animists, they were not Buddhists, they were not Hindus, uh, they were not Muslim, and so they called themselves Christian, but they were not born again. True nominal Christian in name only. And... Uh, God began to raise up some uh, vessels that he was going to use. One of them was a man that uh, had gone to a college in India that was led by Jacob Chelly. There he was born again and uh, trained. And he came back. And his uh, name is Hoisung Tum. And I'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, But uh, there were three evangelists that in January of 2004 were under the burden for their area. They needed a gospel penetration. They had tried. They had worked hard. They had had gospel services. They had witnessed. But with all the liberalism, all that, very little was happening. And so out of the multiplied thousands of people, there's just a few hundred believers. And they were deeply burdened about it. And so these three evangelists form, uh, they have an evangelistic team, and they called for a prayer vigil. We've been hearing much about prayer. 
they called for a prayer vigil up on the top of a mountain. I've seen the actual mountain now. And what I love about this story is that 111 people came. And they prayed and fasted for three days. Now don't miss that piece of the story. That's intense faith. 111 people saying, God, if you don't come down, we'll never win our city. We'll never win our region. God, we need you. And three days and three nights up on the mountain, they prayed and they fasted. This was January 2004. They came down from the mountain. 36 of them met in a certain place to talk about what God uh, perhaps would have them to do. They began to sense that the Spirit of God would have them uh, call for uh, a a gospel camp in uh, March of that year. And so they formed a committee and they began to plan and they decided that every Saturday they would pray and fast uh, from then uh, through March. And so every Saturday, a number of these people were fasting and praying, calling on God, we need you to move. And so they uh, sent word out for this camp they were going to have in a particular building. And uh, uh, two uh, groups had joined together. There was these three evangelists and their organization. And uh, then uh, another organization called the, uh, uh, well, it doesn't matter what it's called. It was uh, joining in as well. These were both born-again groups that were part of this. And as the camp got planned, uh, they asked to use a particular building. Then the liberal group asked if they could be a part of it. This is fascinating. I'll bring that up a little bit later. So you got these three groups coming together. Keep in mind at this time, these groups are not separate. It would be like the Methodists when they were societies within the Anglican church. Wesley never set out to start a new denomination. He had these groups of believers within this whole vast realm of unbelievers. And that's kind of what you've had there in that part of the world. And so you have these two groups uh, joining uh, together. And then this third group says, we want to be a part of it too. And they're the liberals. They're not even born again. But that's who's coming together. They uh, gathered together some food. And they had a few sacks of uh, rice. And uh, I forget how many chickens. It wasn't very uh, much. They were planning. uh, They needed enough food for 500 campers. That's what they were praying for. Uh, Humanly speaking, they didn't have enough food for one or two hundred campers. But they went ahead and came into that week, prayed up. Seven hundred people came. By the end of the week, they still had food left over. (laughs) Interesting piece of the story. Well, they recognized God was on the move. And God's presence was there. And so they called for another week. And it spilled out into the uh, second week. And soon they did not have enough people uh, to fit in the building uh, during the day. And so, uh, and in the uh, evening they also had services and people were coming from all over the uh, capital city of Hakka. And uh, literally they had to move the gatherings outdoors. Because you went from hundreds now to thousands showing up. Now, this went... For about 400 nights, 240 consecutive nights. (laughs) I try to let that one sink in. (laughs) We got a conference, you know, Sunday through Wednesday. Okay, four nights. (laughs) Can you imagine 400? And uh, 240 were consecutive nights. There was a town there, this began to happen in some of the villages uh, close by. One of the villages had 393 consecutive nights of meetings. (laughs) 
And so as the revival progressed, they were aware that God had come. They had never seen anything like it. Uh, The man that was in charge of the conference that I was just at, he spoke in 120 of those 240 consecutive nights. What a privilege to meet a guy like this. And, uh, oh, wow. And uh, this, to hear the story and, and to ask questions and so on. And the presence of God was so real. People were just drawn. And in that culture, there's a lot of drunkenness. And uh, there's a lot of immorality. And there's uh, just all sorts of problems that come from poverty. And uh, uh, so on. Uh, but God was on the move. And they, uh, they would uh, sometimes move the venue to another part of the city. Because it was difficult for people to travel. Most of them had to walk. And so they would move it around so new people could come. And each time the, the presence of God would be felt. And they would draw. And uh, hundreds would spill over into thousands. They took us to one spot on the west side of the city and we saw the building he said we were in this building it was a big building he said but it got so big we had to move outside and uh, uh, Hoi Sung Tum uh, uh, this, uh, he was my interpreter while we were there he preached seven weeks in the revival he was saying we had to build a platform over here and I said well how many people did you have out here he said oh about two to three thousand <laughs> And he said you know one night he said it was raining it was cold it was pouring down rain he said but no one left because they did not want to miss the preaching. <laughs> and friends, the, the, the key factor there is that God's presence was manifest. The issue wasn't the preachers. They'd been around a long time. The issue was not the venues. They'd been around. The issue was the manifest presence of God. <laughs> That's what was making the difference. And uh, so uh, this revival continued. As a result, churches were formed. Because what happened after that first week when, they, when the two groups that were born-again groups joined together to have that first camp and then the liberal group joined in, by the end of the first week they recognized, wait a second, <laughs> these guys are born-againers. <laughs> I don't know how they would say it in Hakka. Uh, but uh, uh, they... they pulled out of what was happening and began to castigate the leaders and sent word out through the uh, American or the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, Baptist, the Hakka Baptist Convention uh, all over that region saying, don't let these guys in your pulpits. So now you had a separation taking place. And that was, that, that was after the first week. But this thing continued on and continued on. And uh, they started four churches in Hakka. I saw one of the buildings. That church now, uh, when they started it, they had 100 new converts. It now has 500. Four churches were started in Hakka. And then in the surrounding villages, 52 other churches have been started. 56 churches came out of that revival. <laughs> and uh, uh, that is just thrilling. And uh, I've met uh, some of these dear folk uh, that were there and uh, just the joy of the Lord on their faces. And they recognized that God had come. Beautiful. That would be what we would call a community-wide or perhaps we could even say regional revival. It was the region of Hakka, which is the capital city of 20,000 and then all of these villages that surround that region experienced this mighty move of the Holy Spirit. To this day, there is a nightly prayer meeting that has come out of that, that's gone now for 10 years. And they recognize they are in need of another great revival. But that was a great revival. And uh, God did it, and it's one of his wonderful works. 
And we ought to remember it. So it is the Hakka Chen revival of 2004, 2005, spilling into 2006 over those 400 nights. Uh, that uh, uh, is uh, what happened. And there's much more to the story, but that gives us an overview. Now keep in mind, you had 111 people start with that prayer vigil. By the way, throughout the revival, they would have more prayer vigils. Uh, the first one was in January. In May, they had another one. This time they had 457 people on the top of a mountain for three days and three nights. I've seen a picture of it. It's glorious. And uh, they had other prayer meetings like that throughout those 400 days. But they knew that something was radically different from anything they'd ever known. God had made himself known. That was a true outpouring of the Spirit that we can remember, that we can rejoice in, and that we can praise God that He did. And you know, God's not a respecter of persons. If He did it for them, we can ask God to do it for us and for others who need that kind of moving of God. You see, in that atmosphere, there are people that wouldn't seek the Lord otherwise. But when there's such a consciousness of God in the atmosphere then those who normally wouldn't pay any attention to it come face to face with God. And they have to face the reality of what God says about sin and salvation and heaven and hell. So he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered.